I'm putting Dave on the spot before I send the kids out because this is a phenomenal testimony. Cool. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, so um, I've, I've got a bunch of neighbors, as I'm sure you guys all have neighbors as well. <laughs> and uh, clap. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you. And that's actually the testimony. That's actually it. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. Um, for a number of years now, um, we've been actually praying for one of our neighbors. Um, uh, she's an amazing person. Actually, both her and her partner are both amazing people. And I've had the opportunity to pray for them multiple times on my way to work. And, um, and yeah, and we're just constantly chatting with her. She knows that, that I'm a Christian and that I work for Youth with a Mission. And she actually said to me, I don't think God's real happy with me. And I said, oh, why, why is God not happy with you? And she said, well, I'm actually living in a homosexual lifestyle. And I said, oh, well, you might just be surprised as to how much God actually loves you. And so the conversation continued, and, um, and it was last week, um, one of the mornings, I was rushing to work because I was late, and, um, and as I was walking through the park, I seen her, and I felt like Holy Spirit said, I want you just to give her a bit of time, and it was one of those moments where I'm like, okay, I'm going to be late, I'm, I'm, I'm late already, so I just said, okay, cool, I'm, I'm going to do it, so my... I just kind of relaxed myself so that she would actually engage in conversation. And, um, and so a couple minutes into it, she goes, hey, I just wanted to say something. You might be really interested to know and maybe happy about this. I'm actually going to church this Sunday. And I was like, whoa, no way. That's so crazy. So she's in church right now um, out at Paradise Point, which is cool. And um, she just went on to share a few of the things. And I got to share my story with her again of... Uh, the image that I had of God in my heart many years ago when I ran away from God and got into, you know, just a horrific lifestyle. Um, but the Jesus that I now know, the Jesus of the scriptures. And, um, and then she said, well, actually, I asked her, so think of this. Um, that was her, her girlfriend. And she said, you know what? Um, I've been with her for 11 years, and I, I know that it's not right. I know that the relationship is not right. And so I broke up with her two weeks ago. Um, she's in Sydney, and I'm here, and I just actually got to console her there a little bit, you know. Um, regardless of what you think about that lifestyle, people are still people, and so I, I gave her a hug, and I just felt her, and I said, man, I'm so sorry, um, you know, for your loss, but I'm excited about your future and stuff. I got to pray for her, and it was just a really cool moment that we had. She was like almost in tears, and I just got to just embrace her, and so now we're just praying, Jesus, just let that church be amazing. <laughs> Let that church be amazing. I thought the, the reason I wanted Dave to share that, I was so blown away when, um, when he told me that story because it's, um, it's what we've been talking about here for the last probably four weeks to five weeks, and I'm going to go a little deeper into it today as well, is that it, this Christian life really is just being a light out there every day operating as as God would have us operate every day and and regardless of whether Dave got to lead her to God or that she's in this house doesn't matter at all to God the fact that he didn't say the prayer or you know he didn't force anything upon her she saw Jesus in Dave that's phenomenal that's what this Christian life is about. It's not about coming up with a fancy line or fancy words or having the right things to say. It's about being the light out there and allowing the light to shine through you into other people's lives. 11 years. Dave didn't tell her anything about whether or not it was a good lifestyle or a bad lifestyle. But it's phenomenal. 
guys, absolutely phenomenal, that she realized upon herself there's something in Dave's life I want in my life. Dave didn't have to explain anything to her. He didn't have to highlight anything to her. He was just able to be exactly what I'm going to preach this morning. So Dave, well done. It's awesome. And it's phenomenal, guys. I'm not preaching this. I'm not harping on about how we live our lives and the fact that we are to be a light because we're doing poorly at it. I'm pressing in more and more into this because I, I think this is how we actually see change in our city. This is how we see the, the power of God actually come through and, and operate in us in this house and in the house, in other houses and in the city. So can you just pray for me before I preach? So just put your hand out and copy after me. Father, he needs help. Help him. Amen. Thank you. I already feel better. <laughs> if you've got a Bible, go to Mark 12. Mark verse 12. Mark 12 verse 13 rather. I read a quote during the week from, um, I think it was Eric Johnson. But he says this, he says, The reach of God's presence is transformational in nature, changing the climate that people live under. When we as a people begin to operate in the power and expression of the kingdom of God, the people around us begin to change. That's what Dave just did. He operated in the changing nature of the Holy Spirit and the climate around him changed. That is exactly what I think I think. We need to be operating as a people. And the way that we do that is by just following, humbly following the lead of the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, there was 120 people in the top of a room waiting on the Spirit to fall. When the Spirit fell at Pentecost, their lives were so changed that they went out into the city. And out in that city, they changed the atmosphere of a, of a, a city that just recently crucified Christ. That city would have been up in arms, angry at these people, frustrated, annoyed. They just crucified Jesus and these people gather and they meet together. The Holy Spirit changes them. They walk out into the people and they're able to change probably one of the most volatile cities to change into the way of Christ. They didn't do that through fancy words or the way they were able to preach. They did that because the power of the Holy Spirit changed them right there in that moment. We think that it is difficult in 2019 to express the gospel and to explain who Christ is. Imagine trying to explain who he was just after they crucified him. They go out into a place that was extremely volatile to express Christ and to change a city and to change a nation through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we're able to, to alter and to change the city. If you, we at Mark 12. Yep, spectacular. Mark 12, verse 13, we're going to start from. And we read through to 17. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to, rap, to, sorry, to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to him, said to them, 
rendered to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's, and they marveled at him. We've heard this verse, I've heard this verse used many a time to explain whether or not we should pay um, our tithe before or after our tax comes out. Who's heard that? Use this verse. I don't think this verse is talking about finances. I'm going to explain why, but it's not talking about whether or not we should give God our taxes or not, or give the government our taxes or not. It's actually talking about something much, much deeper. The fact that the verse ends with, they marveled at him, means that maybe we have to dig a little deeper to find out what was really being said. Because I look at this and I'm not marveled by God. I'm like, oh, really? If it's talking about my money, I have to give more money away? But that's not what they were saying. The fact is the Pharisees come to this meeting. They come to trap Jesus. Jesus was in a catch-22 here. If he had said, yes, give all your money or the things that you have to Caesar, then he was actually going against the way of God. He was worshipping Caesar rather than worshipping God. And the, the, the Jewish people would have been able to revolt against him. The Pharisees are trying to get Jesus to say the wrong thing because they wanted him out earlier. But had he gone the other way and said, no, as a Jewish people, we don't have to give anything to Caesar, he would have heightened the revolt from the Romans and he would have brought about his death a lot quicker. So he has to make a decision. Which way am I going to say this? Am I going to anger the Jewish people or am I going to anger the Romans? And his response is phenomenal. But he pulled on their understanding. He pulled on the way that they understood the Torah. They understood the scriptures of old. He says, he says to them, go and get me a Daenerys. I, last week, I got to actually hold one of these Daenerys with Augusta's inscription on it. A guy that we were chatting with had one. I'm not sure how he got it or where he got it, but it, looked, it was really cool. But the point was, in 44 BC, they used to, when, when Rome would go into a city, they would sack a city or they would, they would overthrow a city or, or take everybody who was in that city. They would... Would then that would be owned by Rome, it would become a part of their Roman Empire, and they would build a statue of that current Caesar in that city so that that city knew who the Caesar was. They knew who owned it. Every time they walked into the city, they would see the statue, they would know who it was. In 44 BC, they started to realize everywhere that we go, we take our currency, we give them our currency. So they realized if I put the head of the Caesar on the currency, it's getting around a lot quicker. Everyone will know who that is. Put my image on the coin and then people will see who the Caesar is. So what they started to do was every time there was a new Caesar, they'd have to bring all the coins back in, have them ruined and remade so that they could have the head of the new Caesar on it. This is going to make sense in a moment. So Jesus says, go and get me a Daenerys, bring me the coin. And I'll show you who, who owns the coin. So they bring the coin, they hold it up. It says, that's Caesar's head on the coin. He owns that. So they say, okay, then give to Caesar what his image is on, for he owns it. And then he says to the people, and give to God what God's image is on, because he owns it. Where do we see God put his image? On us, in Genesis, in the garden. So he's actually saying to the Jewish people, he's saying, give whatever you have to give to Caesar, because he owns that. The things of this world, the earthly things are his. He wants an empire, give it to him. But the things that I've put my mark on, the things that I've put my image, I've borne myself into, I've created my, my life and who I am into, give that to me. So when the Jewish people hear this, they marvel at, at, at Christ because they realize, they say, it doesn't matter how much money we give to him. 
Give all of what God's given to me, all of who I am, every part of me to God. And that's what Jesus is saying. He keeps them both happy. He says, don't worship anything else but me. Don't worship anything else but God, Yahweh, who I am. Give everything else over. So as I spoke last week and I was talking about how we live a life facing forward and not turning back, Jesus, all through the scriptures, all the way we read in these parables, he's saying, it's all about living through me, living in me. Everything you do, give everything else aside. None of this matters. Everything that I am in you matters. Give all to that. So now we start building our life. We start operating from a place where we go, okay, how do I give everything that Jesus has made me to be, put his image on, how do I give that to him? Then our life changes from, should I give this much to God and this much to Caesar? He's actually saying, no, just give everything to Caesar. Let the world have the world. But you who I've created to be in me, come and be in me. Does that make sense? Go with me to Genesis. The very first book in the Bible, if you're not sure. Genesis 1, verse 27. We all know, we all know what happened in, in the garden. If you don't, come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to, to, to talk about it with you. But Jesus creates man. It says, Genesis 27. Uh, Genesis 1 verse 27, it says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. When Jesus said, give to Caesar what, what image Caesar has and give to God what image God has, they would have known this verse. That's why they marveled at him straight away. I know where I saw the image, back in the garden when God gave it to mankind. But the interesting thing is the take on this, the understanding that the Jewish people had. But I just want to say this before I move on to that. At salvation, we give up everything to the world. We die. Dave and I were talking about this during the week. The, the very Christian walk is to die to oneself, to give over everything to Caesar. But then God allows us to step into him and he gives us everything in him. So we give over the tiny bit, everything that we have, the little bit. And then we get everything back, the gigantic bit that God gives us. He allows us to step into, to operate from, to be with. We have to be willing to lay ourselves down. As a, as a people, we have to be willing to lay ourselves down. Okay, so God created man, Genesis 1 verse 27. God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. I think I've shared this here before, but I'm going to share it again because it's, it's quite spectacular in the way that we understand what God is saying about us in this verse where he says, give to God what is God's. Much, much cleverer people than me, Hebrew grammarians, people who study the grammar and the, un and the, the way the Hebrew language was written, they understand this verse a little differently and the Jewish people would have as well because how it was written in Hebrew is different to how we understand it. The verse says, God created men in his own image, in the image of God he created them. But they see it a little differently because they see the preposition of the word in to be the word as and the word image to be a verb, something we can be, something that we actually are, a, a, a function or a capacity. So this verse where it says, so, so God created man in his own image, they see it as the word God created man as his own image. 
And the reason it's so interesting is because the in here denotes something different in our English language than it did in the Hebrew. So if I put the dishes in the sink, the in denotes a location, right? The sink is a location. I put them in the sink or I put them in my bed. But it's the, the in is a location. Bad choice of words. That's what I went for. <laughs> Don't put your dishes in your bed. It's not, it's not fun at all. The note, the note is written in pen. Now, this one donates an instrument. The pen is an instrument. It's in in pen rather than in pencil. Does that make sense? The third one is he broke the vase in pieces. Now it results, now it denotes a, a, a reality. It, it denotes a result of something. It's broken into pieces. All the same word in English, all different opportunities of what the word can actually mean. The final one, uh, the second last one says, here's what, uh, here's what you should say in reply. So now the in is denoting function or, uh, sorry, is denoting, is denoting purpose or process. And the final one is I work in accounting. So the whole point I'm saying this, and that, that one denotes a function uh, or, or capacity, the accounting is I'm working in that role. So the English language is very difficult when it gets transposed from Hebrew into English because it means so many different things. But what happens here is when we see in, we see that God's, God has given us something rather than made us something new. So when it says you've been made as my image, God's taken himself and he's copied that into who we are. So we actually carry the very image that is God. Rather than holding something for him, we become everything that he is. Michael Heiser puts it like this. The concept can be conveyed if we think of image as a verb. Humans are created as God's images. They function in the capacity of God's as the sorry, they function in the capacity of God's representatives. The image of God is not a quality within human beings. It's who we are. This isn't a gift. For us to look like God isn't a gift. It's everything that we are. We actually become what He looks like, a mirror of who He is. So that changes the way that we think when we walk to work and we bypass somebody and we don't want to talk to them, we actually fail in that moment to be who we are because we fail to image who God is. N.T. Wright explains it like this, that when he was a kid, he, he used to, his mom used to put a mirror uh, in the hallway so that when he was laying in bed, his mom could look down the hallway and see him from the kitchen to make sure that he was okay. The image reflects everything that the kid is in the bedroom. That's the way we are to God, is that we reflect everything that he is out in the world in everyday life. Does that make sense? So when it says that we are made in his image, we are actually made as his image. So that when Caesar puts the, his head on the coin so that everybody knows who the Caesar is, God puts his image on us so that everyone knows who he is. So that when we enter into a town or a city, when we enter into a place of darkness, into a friend's house for dinner, into a movie theater, they, they see the image of God, or they should see the image of God. So now our job and our role as a people is actually to carry who he made us to be in the beginning and be the very image of him. This is extraordinarily challenging when nothing works on the sound system and you're you don't want to talk to people because you're trying to fix everything. 
or when you're in the middle of something and a telemarketer calls you, or that guy has just charged you double for something that you should have picked up and you're cranky and you feel angry inside. You can't forget who you were created to be. Dave could have forgotten who he was created to be and he could have got to work on time. But instead he changed his thought process and said, God, I carry your image. I'll do as you ask me to do. You see, things start to change now because all of a sudden, everywhere we walk into, it's not thinking about should I sin or not sin. That's not the question. That's never been the question. That when we get born again, all that stuff dies. All that stuff goes away. Now we start asking ourselves, am I carrying the image? Am I actually being who I was always created to be? It's a challenging challenging thing to start thinking through because now we have to be accountable to ourselves and to God as to being who he's created us to be that's what this Christian life is all about that's why we read the scriptures to try and understand more of his nature more of who he is that's why we pray God reveal yourself to us so that I can see more of who you are and I can be more of who you are out in the world it's not about doing the right or wrong thing it's about saying God I want to know you more so that I can go and make you known out there to everybody who sees me. That's why we come to church on a Sunday morning, to gather together, to pray, to be in his presence as a family, to to worship, to, to exalt the name of Christ, to sing, you are so glory, you are so holy, Father. All of this is to you. We give you everything for but a glimpse into who you are. A deeper, take me deeper into you so that I can change my life, so that I can be who you've created me to be always. See, Paul says it's, it's by the renewal of our mind that our lives change. Why? Because we, we don't realize who we were created to be in the beginning. We have to change the pattern of our mind to start to understand what it was that he built all the way back in the garden. That when he bent down and he created us from the dust and he blew his Ruah spirit into us, he blew that and, and filled us up. He said, this is who I'm creating you to be. And when we were conceived and our eyes were opened and we became, the Bible says, like God, we lost all of that. All of that went away and slowly but surely we were pulled away from the very being of who God created us to be. We became lost. But in our salvation, when, when Jesus died and he rose again, he allows us to step into who he is. We get brought back into that promise as to who we were always made to be. It's not a plan B. It's plan A fixed back up. Perfectly put back together. I once heard a I once heard a, a sermon from a, um, a guy who was explaining um, a picture about a vase that in, I think it's Japan, when they fix, a, if a vase gets broken and shattered, they put it back together and all the pieces that, that join it back together that couldn't be found or replaced, they fill with gold. And he was saying that when, when we were broken, God put us back together and he filled those pieces with gold. But that's not entirely true. He replaced the whole thing with gold. He replaced all of who we are with gold. He said, no, I made you perfect in my image. You wrecked it, but I'll put it back together exactly how I built it in the past. Except for this time, I'll hide you in my son and I will, I will keep you locked away in my son and no one can get you from there. That's the beauty of the gospel. 
That's what brings us to here. That's what brings us to the place of salvation. That's what brings us into who he is. Now we get to say, okay, I need to go and be who you are out there so that other people can see who you are because I need them to see it because it's so phenomenal. I want to read you uh, an excerpt from uh, Smith Wigglesworth book called Ever Increasing Faith. But I don't want it to discourage us. When I first read it, I was like, well, that's pretty intense and that's pretty insane. This man has walked a very, very long journey. He spent a very, very, very long time on his knees before God. Spent hours and days in prayer and fasting. We don't get to this in a, in a moment. I once heard that Smith Wigglesworth, a guy asked if he could come in and, and write in one of his prayer meetings. And he said there was about 30 people in the prayer meeting. And one by one, they started leaving because they couldn't be in the presence like Smith could. He said, until the very end, this author said, I'm, I wasn't leaving unless I got dragged out. And in the end, he collapsed in the presence of God while Smith Wigglesworth was just standing worshipping. Because he understands a depth into the glory of God that others don't understand. Kind of like when you go to the gym and you can't just go in and lift those big ones that have dusts on them that no one lifts. You can't just walk in and grab those bad boys. You've got to start at the other end at the like two kilos and work your way in. That's the same with God. God says, come before me and I will grow you in this. The excerpt from his book says this. I remember one time stepping out of a railroad carriage to wash my hands. I had a season of prayer and the Lord just filled me to overflowing with his love. I was going to a convention in Ireland and I could not get there fast enough. As I returned, I believe that the spirit of the Lord was so heavy upon me that my face must have, been sh- that must have shone. There were two clergymen sitting together and as I got into the carriage again, one of them cried out, You convince me of my sin. Within three minutes, everyone in the carriage was crying to God for salvation. This thing happened many times in my life. It's the manifestation of the Spirit that Paul speaks of, the filling of the Spirit that will make your life effective, that even the people in the stores where you trade will want to leave your presence because they are brought under conviction. That when he entered into a railway, he didn't say a word. They were so convicted by the Holy Spirit. They were so changed and challenged by the Holy Spirit that was in Smith that they started to be to be brought to a place where they say, I've been living a life that wasn't how I'm supposed to live. The fact that Dave can speak to this girl and she decides, she decides, that's not the life I should live. He didn't decide that. It was the Holy Spirit flowing through him and in him that made her go, something's not right in my life. I want to change all that I am. You see, we sometimes think that we have to go and explain to somebody why they're doing wrong. You will never, ever win somebody like that. But when you go and you express the full love of Christ, the Holy Spirit will convict them to change. The Holy Spirit will bring about exactly what their life should be and should look like. What grid does that girl have to know what's right and what's wrong? Nothing but the power of the Holy Spirit that God expresses. Go with me. I've got one more verse I want to, I want to speak on and then, and then we can finish up. Go with me to Ephesians 5. 
Ephesians 5, 1. The top of Ephesians 5. This verse in Ephesians 5 has a whole list. The back end of Ephesians 5 has a whole list of things that we shouldn't do. A whole list of of things that we shouldn't be living our life. But it starts very interestingly with this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, sorry, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I like that Paul issues the beginning of a list of stuff that we're going to have to be able to operate in to see him move and to see him operate. But he starts that with be imitators of God as beloved children and operate from his love. And then he goes on to express all the different things that we we have to live out of and, and live into. Everything that I've been preaching on for this last five weeks about how we can how we to position ourselves to live for God comes down to this be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in his love and I've talked about this testimony that Dave gave a lot because it it excited me to a place where where I go that's exactly what Paul's saying here be imitators of God operating from his love and watch the word world around you change I started this with that quote from Eric Johnson that says, The reach of God's presence is transformational in nature and it changes the climate that people live under. When we are imitators of God as beloved children and we walk in His love, we begin to change the climate that people live under. We begin to shift the atmosphere around us and allow the Holy Spirit to dictate how those people operate and live in their life. That's how we change a city. That's how we change a nation. Yes, there is an element of that that is, is persistent prayer. But it, those people in your life that you're saying, they don't know who God is. I don't think I have the elegant speech to explain who he is. It's through this lifestyle that changes that. I can't tell you how many, how many times Jess and I have had people who laugh at our lifestyle, who mock how we live, but then will come to us for advice at the very moment something goes wrong. Or they'll make jokes like, they'll make jokes like, tell Ben he'll, he'll, he'll pray to his God for you. I'm like, sweet, bring it on. <laughs> bring that on. But you see, it's not, it's not about, it's not about how we speak and how we bring things about who we are. It's about being the image bearer of God that he created us to be. A very, very good friend of mine who's not a Christian, I, was, I overheard him at a party once. I overheard him at a party once talking about, I used to live, when I first moved to the Gold Coast, I went to uni and I lived in a share house. And I lived with this, with this bloke and we were great mates. Three of, it was four of us, I was the only Christian guy in the house. And it was when I had first... Um, really decided to change my life. So explaining to them why um, I wasn't sleeping with girls like they were or why 
uh, I wasn't doing drugs or those sorts of things was a, an interesting challenge as I walked along. But the cool thing was I overheard him quite some time after I moved out at a party and he said, yeah, Ben, ben was always great to live with because he always brought this joy into the house through these weird Jesus songs he used to sing. Now, to this day, I cannot remember singing. So I asked him after that, I was like, hey, what? Not that I'm offended, but what Jesus songs was I singing? He goes, bro, you used to walk through the house all the time singing your Jesus songs. I'm like, yeah, I do sing like that quite a bit. It's pretty awful, but I get it going. So, but what happened was, was that that changed his understanding. He said that that brought a joy to the house that wasn't there before. Unbeknownst to me, he operated from a place that God was moving through me and creating an atmosphere which changed the atmosphere of his realm. That's incredible. I didn't even realize I was doing it. I wasn't striving to be some superstar Christian. I wasn't preaching to them. I never ever invited them to church or read the Bible to them. I used to read on the dining room table and they could walk past and see and sometimes I'd read out loud but I never sat with them I just didn't have that gift not to say that's wrong or bad but what really changes people's life is this a lifestyle imitators of God being who we were created to be walking in love in love of who he is I, I truly believe going back to Dave Dave's just getting I'm just pumping his tires up you're going to walk out woo pump the tires if if Dave, I, I truly believe, if Dave in their first encounter had said to this young girl, I just want you to know you're living in sin and your life is in horrib a horrible place, he would have lost them. He would have lost everything. A friendship, the ability to speak into her life, he would have lost the ability to actually care for her and be who, who he is to her because she would have said, oh, I don't like talking to that guy. I'll wave and smile, but I don't like talking to him. He let the Holy Spirit do the tough part. He let the Holy Spirit explain that what he did was he was an imitator of God and he acted from a place of love. That's how we're to be. Does that make sense? Does, has anyone got anything out of this morning? You can say no, shake your head. I'll awkwardly move on and then we can chat afterwards. <laughs> Guys, I really believe that the reason, as I said before I started this, I... I am going to move on. I have other stuff God's been sharing with me, but I, I feel like he said to stay in this place of expressing us and, and the maturity of us as disciples to step into who he's created us to be because that's how we change a nation. That's how we change a city. That's how we allow the Holy Spirit to move through us. It's not by sitting and hoping that by saying, God, give us a revival, give us a revival, pour something out, but then we're not doing anything to actually change who we are. We have to change we have to start to say, okay, God, who do, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to be? Who do you want me to be? What are the scriptures saying to me? What are you trying to tell me about who I am? What's the, the reality of me in you? Because then when we start to change that, our nation can start to change. It'll start small with the people around you. And will spread out from that into, into the city, the nation, the, the world. I know it's a, it's a big dream. But when we can start to operate from this place, when we can start to operate as imitators of God, beloved children, and walk in his love as Christ loved us, we start to change. I'm going to finish with this. Don't forget that Jesus died for your sins. You were just like that person you're going to be talking to. You were just like that person who you are, you are speaking with and operating to. 
You were there. You got to understand his love. Show them that love. Show them what Christ showed to you back when you didn't know who he was. Express that love regardless of whether they deserve it or not. Jesus says they deserve it. So operate from that place. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we just come before you, Lord. And we ask for you to help. Help us understand your message of love. Help us understand the reality of who you are. Help us understand, God, the power of the cross. How much that actually changed our life and how much it can change those around us, Lord. Give us the opportunity, Father, to be your image bearers out in the world. Like it says in Psalms, Father, search us. Search the parts of our hearts that don't look like you and remove them, Lord. Convict us, God, of the areas that don't look like you. Let us take them out, Father, and replace them with things that do look like you. Help us, O oh Father, to know you more, to see you more, to operate from the fullness and the freedom that the cross brought. I thank you, Jesus, that you went and you drank that cup, that you bore all that pain and suffering for us to be free in this place. I thank you, God, that your plan was for, for Jesus to rise again, to rule and reign as king. We declare his kingship here this morning. We declare his kingship in our life. We invite you, God, come and have your way. Thank you, Jesus. You are so worthy. You are so good, O oh Lord. Amen.